Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blemson. Roblox, a California-based online gaming startup valued at $2.4 billion in a fundraising round last year, has taken the US by storm and is now eyeing Europe's thriving market. Malcolm Moore discusses the rise of cloud gaming with Alia Ram and Tim Bradshaw. So, Alia, can you tell us what is Roblox? How's it evolved and how come so many kids in the US are playing it? Yes, well, it's extraordinary. They claim to have half of all 9 to 12-year-olds in America's users and they have said they have more than 90 million monthly users around the world. It's a gaming platform in which users children mostly design their own games and games kind of become more or less prominent based on how many people are playing them and how much they're enjoying them and based on that model it's become really big. So you can go onto it you can design a game and then you can play the game that you've designed or share the game with your friends. Yes you can play the game you've designed you can play your friends games they can play your games you can make a business out of it you can make money off it. Okay. So that makes it very different then from games like Fortnite and Minecraft. Yes, so the model's different because instead of building your own features in an existing world, you actually build your world from scratch as a user. And you can do that either by dragging and dropping features that Roblox has designed and offers to you to choose from, or you can actually code elements of the world and the game that you want to create in that world yourself. Does that sound about right, Tim? I do think there are some overlaps in a way with Fortnite in the Fortnite in its current guise is this battle royale game where there's a hundred people all competing to get down to the last man standing but actually it's sort of become a more fluid space than just that because you have concerts being held there you have people using it as effectively just kind of place to hang out with their friends and in that respect they're both kind of virtual worlds that have given a new kind of place for people to make their own entertainment in a way it's not quite as prescriptive as trying to complete a level or the kind of traditional video games of old this is the phenomenon that is called in the industry social gaming and is becoming increasingly popular and it's a kind of gaming community in which playing games is one tiny part of what they do and a lot else of what they do is communicate with friends with strangers and share experiences online The idea sort of originally goes back to Facebook pre-mobile. So Farmville and throwing sheep and things like that, which were uh, sort of big on Facebook probably almost a decade ago now, but kind of dropped off when Facebook moved onto mobile because there wasn't the same ability to create mini games inside the Facebook app as there was on the desktop. And so companies like Zynga that had pioneered that area had died away a little bit and a lot of the social mechanics that they were using were more about trying to recruit new users than genuinely spending time with your friends or playing against your friends. And that started to change with titles like Words with Friends, where you were playing virtual Scrabble against people online. But that's now starting to come back again and come full circle. And so we saw Snapchat has just launched its new social gaming platform where you're actually in your chat with your friends playing a little game right in there, which is an idea that was really popularized in China with WeChat and the WeChat minigames platform. So there's lots of different attempts in lots of different ways now to create this sort of social gaming idea. Do you guys think that the audience for social games is different from the audience for traditional console games? Or are we looking at a situation where the audience migrates from one to the other? I think one of the 
things that's marked out the the sort of last decade and the advent of mobile gaming is it has broadened the number of people who play games regularly whether you're looking at things like angry birds or candy crush or those kinds of things and those by and large were sort of solo activities but people who might not want to sit down and play call of duty or even for that matter Fortnite, for an intensive period of time have got more used to this more casual form of gaming and so that's in a way why when the smartphone first came out and, and the app store launched there was a lot of concern in the industry that that would cannibalize console gaming actually it just increased the size of the market overall and so the console gaming market was more for the hardcore gamers and the pc gaming market even more dedicated players and then there's a larger number of people playing less frequently or less intensively on the small screen and phones and those lines are now really starting to blur Okay, but with things like the Roblox platform and other sort of social games, are they best enjoyed on a mobile or on a desktop? And if they're best enjoyed on a desktop, where does that leave mobile games? Where do they go in the future? So Google is trying to square that circle with its new game streaming platform Stadia, which was unveiled a couple of weeks ago and is designed so that you can play exactly the same game on any device whether that is your phone or a pc or the tv set and so that because all of the processing is done in the cloud in the same way as netflix streams videos to your screen whatever size it happens to be it will stream a fully fledged game with really rich graphics and you're not constrained by the processing power that you have on any particular device and so it's not yet clear what games are going to emerge from that there have been very little titles announced for stadia so far but that promise that you can play the same game everywhere was kind of established with Fortnite. And it was something that started off as a kind of PC phenomenon, but only really took off as this huge cultural movement, especially among younger players, when it got onto Android and iOS earlier last year. I think all these different gaming platforms are catering to slightly different audiences. So one of the major things that Roblox is targeting is the developer community. So one of the big pitches that they make is that as a user of Roblox, you can monetize a game yourself by building something that becomes popular, goes viral. You can sell features within that game to other users and turn it into a business. And I spoke to some developers who have built games on Roblox and it seems possible to make tens or hundreds of thousands of pounds. They claim some people have made millions of pounds on the platform by doing this. So I think some of these platforms are addressing slightly different communities of gamers. I mean, in a way, this was the promise of Second Life more than a decade ago, right? This was supposed to be an infinitely flexible virtual world where people could spend their time. And I think the problem that Second Life had, apart from the fact that the graphics were fairly poor and the connection was fairly terrible, was that people got there and they didn't really know what to do. And so Roblox solves that and Fortnite solves that by saying, OK, to start with, it's a game and you come here primarily to play a game and then they give you the tools to create something different out of that. And that's where Roblox is definitely pioneering this vastly more inventive and creative type of a gaming platform. So far, largely in the United States, but they are now expanding elsewhere. Yeah, so they say they've seen much faster growth in Europe than in the US and they're focusing on the French and German market. They've launched the platform in French and German. They've also launched it in Korean and simplified Chinese and traditional Chinese, which suggests they've got their eyes also firmly fixed on the Chinese massive market of gamers. So yeah, I think the next phase of the growth, as the head of international expansion explained, is overseas. 
And Alia, how does Roblox make money out of all of this, of all these users and developers coming onto its platform and making their own games? Well, developers get to keep a quarter of the money that's spent in their games and Roblox takes away the rest. So they make money that way primarily and they claim that that model has allowed the business to become cash flow positive. When you say spent in their games, you mean users buying certain items or lives or other things, the treasure chest type stuff that you can buy inside of games? Yeah, so users spend real money to buy a virtual currency and then they can spend that virtual currency on things like clothes for their avatar or new features as part of the game. Okay, but they don't have to pay to play. No, they don't have to pay to play. And I think that's a really key business model innovation that these games are having. And Fortnite is another great example of it. If you're trying to create an online space that is a genuine community, you need to be able to kind of attract as many people as possible. But if it is a place where you are being yourself and hanging out, you will want to kit out, so the theory goes, your avatar with something that establishes your personality and your identity in the virtual world is the same way as you buy clothes and fashion in the real world. And so it, it, the two things kind of feed off each other. Okay, and then just one final thought then, as the audiences for these games grow and these communities enlarge, you know, are we going to face a situation where safety becomes a problem? How are regulators going to address what happens in these virtual worlds? Well, Roblox has a kind of amazing and horrifying story about a child's avatar character who was raped on the platform, and that was last year. They said that the platform was hacked, and that's how that happened and they had claimed to have addressed it but of course as with all of these tools when you have children playing socially online probably without being monitored by parents there's going to be a lot of concern about what happens in that context and whether people who want to abuse that can leverage that game to do that and I think that's just the nature of the beast so for instance Roblox does own that problem and they very vocally say that they want children to play on Roblox and that therefore they're going to have to deal with really complicated safety issues and invest in that to make sure it's safe for them. I do feel like the age verification point and how parental consent is granted and whether it really is parental consent that is granted or just a kid ticking a box is a big unsolved problem right the way across this industry at the moment. And I don't know if that's an area that's going to be regulated into a solution or something that the industry comes up with themselves, but it feels like that's going to keep being an issue until something more robust is put into place there. But that throws up a whole other set of questions around how much of your identity you want to share and verify online. So it's a really tough problem. Okay. Thank you very much. That was Malcolm Moore talking to our tech reporters, Ali Aram and Tim Bradshaw. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, you can find our latest subscription offers at ft.com offer. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.